Thank you, Carrie, and bringing that to our mind. God's future for us, His future with Him. It's wonderful to imagine that. Um, I have an opportunity uh, to um, have with us Jerry and Mary Roper. You, you may not know Jerry and Mary Roper, uh, but I met them probably about 12 some years ago, and um, I was pastoring a church in Johnston County, and uh, this family came to be a part of that church body, and uh, we were blessed. Uh, Jerry at the time was working the National Guard, um, and uh, was uh, it's been a long time since then. I think uh, you've had a tour or two, I believe, in Afghanistan, Iraq area, and um, but he, I remember telling him, telling me back then that uh, he said, you know, in just 12, 15 years, I'm going to retire from the military. And I thought, that's crazy. You're the same age as me. How does that happen? Uh, but, you know, that can happen in the military. And he says, I'm, I'm looking forward to using that time and serving the Lord. Well, that time has come. And uh, Jerry and Mary and their children uh, uh, are looking now at going to Thailand uh, to serve the Lord overseas uh, in that country. Um, as missionaries in Thailand. Uh, some of you have children in your social classes from uh, Thailand. Um, and so uh, they're going to go and work as special teachers. And, and Jerry, they're doing a, a trip soon, I think in April May, to kind of check things out. Uh, but they're trying to uh, gather resources and people in prayer uh, for them so that they can go uh, sooner rather than later. And so um, well, I'm just uh, privileged to know them. I've uh, been a blessing to be a part of their life, uh, the time that I was, and uh, I'm just uh, thrilled uh, how God's going to use you guys, and uh, they are members of uh, Hell's Chapel up in uh, Zeblin, out that area. Some of you are from that area and know uh, uh, that I'm not cussing uh, when I say that. Um, that I always was, always was thankful I wasn't called there, <laughs> um, but uh, no, they're there. God's using them to be a blessing in Zeblin and, and reaching that area in various ways. And so uh, I've asked Jerry and Mary to come and to share with our church briefly uh, how God's going to use them and how they hope to be used. And uh, perhaps maybe some of you can be a part of what they're doing. And so, Jerry, if you'll come and share now. I can't... Uh begin to to express how grateful I am to Jared uh, and to you how blessed you are to have him uh, as uh, senior pastor here um, uh, he made a huge impact and his family made a huge impact on our family's lives uh, I know uh, because of our previous relationship uh, that Jared has a heart for missions uh, and I know uh, from just the a few moments that we spent uh, here so far that you have a heart for missions. Uh, so you'll know uh, Matthew 28, 19 through 20 uh, probably very well and can probably recite it. Uh, we're commanded uh, to go and to make disciples. Uh, we're not commanded to go and make converts. Um, so what is a disciple? Uh, what does that look like in our own lives every day? Uh, we believe that making disciples uh, and being a disciple is learning to live and love like Jesus. To make a disciple is to teach others how to do the same. That's what we want to do in Chiang Mai. God's opened a, a door that only God could open. Uh, could you imagine being invited in to our schools uh, to teach 
English or to teach you a foreign language uh, for us, but we would uh, be allowed to use the Bible as conversation language. Uh, the, uh, God has opened this door in Chiang Mai uh, through the Association of Southeast Asian Nations. That's like our NAFTA uh, that we have here between Mexico and Canada and us. It's a free trade agreement. Uh, Chiang Mai uh, and Thailand is the largest economic bloc in the uh, association. They're the absolute last in speaking English. Uh, so they knew that missionaries were in the country. Uh, Chiang Mai uh, and Thailand. Thailand means land of the free, by the way. Uh, Thailand is, has been free uh, from British rule. Uh, they are one of the only Asian nations that were not taken over and colonized at a time by uh, the British Empire. Uh, so they uh, have the name, the land of the free. Uh, they have asked specifically for Americans. Uh, the the uh, Thai government has asked specifically for Americans to come in and, and teach English uh, because of what they saw the, the Brits, uh, the British people do, uh, and the Europeans do to China and, uh, and some other places uh, through history. Uh, so they went to the churches. They know missionaries are there. Uh, we could actually go on a missionary visa through Thailand. It is free. Uh, what's amazing, though, is it's free as 68 million people live in, in Thailand. The church has been in Thailand for 200 years trying to make converts. Uh, we don't want to make converts. We want to make disciples. Amen. Uh, God, by opening up this window uh, for us to, to go in and, and put English teachers in school, what Mary and I will specifically be doing is uh, we'll actually be coordinating uh, with government officials and school officials to bring Christian uh, workers in to teach English in the public schools. We need about 2,000 English teachers. Uh, that's a huge prayer concern that we have. Uh, I don't know 2,000 people uh, to, <laughs> to bring in the school, so what we know that, that our churches do. Uh, we need 2,000 strong Christians uh, to come in and teach um, in, in the schools. Uh, so the Thai government went to the churches and said, we need help. The churches went to uh, a man by the name of Dwight Martin and said, we need help. Dwight Martin came to our organization, Crossworld, and said, we need help. Uh, we fit uh, with what uh, they want to do, what the churches want to do in reaching uh, the Thai people. Uh, we're committed to making disciples where life happens uh, every day, uh, one disciple at a time, and we can reach the world. How we'll be doing this is through conversational English, of course, in the public schools, through living in Thailand, through making disciples by being involved in people's lives. Um, we are going to Thailand. Our tickets have been purchased. Uh, Mary and I will be leaving on the 21st of May to go to Chiang Mai to spend about 10 days there, getting to know the people that we'll be working with in the churches, getting to know the people that uh, we'll be serving uh, with uh, in the school systems. Uh, after that's done, we'll come back, and uh, if God provides uh, in his uh, great mercy, uh, we will be going to uh, what they call pre-field orientation in June. Uh, we'll be going to language acquisition in July, and we'll be moving our family in August. Uh, this is significant because it normally takes 18 to 24 months to raise the funds to go 
uh, overseas. And we've been asked to do that in about four months. Hmm. Uh, we know that God's in charge, and if, if it's his desire, we'll, we'll be there. Uh, we'll be there with his, his timing. Um, what we have to raise is we have to raise uh, about $56,000 uh, to go. Uh, and to do that, we need help. Uh, we also have to have about $4,600 a month uh, for living expenses. Uh, about 25 of that actually is our pay, and the rest is for ministry uh, expenses. So we're asking for prayer, and Mary's got... He's very quickly gone through his his, uh, his 30 minute presentation, and uh, which usually lasts 45 minutes. Um, so I just want to point out that all of these things that he's spoken of, all of this going in there and talking with, we're going to be living among the people on the street, but we'll also have contact with leaders in this country that don't know Christ. And when you have a, a godly man at the helm of a country or at the helm of a city, leading a city or leading a committee within the city, things can change. And God's placed us in such a... I am in awe. that I know Mary and Jerry Roper can't do this. We can't do this alone. We've got to have God to do this through us. We can't do this without your prayers. Yes, we do need financial support, but what we need most of all is your prayers. And I've... Um, We've got prayer cards, and on the prayer cards, the, one of the first verses I've got on there is, is 1 Timothy chapter 2. And I'm going to start at verse 1, where he says, I urge you then, first of all, that petitions and prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and for all those in authority, that we may live in peace and have quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God, our Savior, who wants all people to be saved. He said all people to be saved. And to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind. The man Christ Jesus who gave himself a ransom for all people. This has now been witnessed to the proper time. And he goes on to say, and for this reason I've been appointed herald and apostle and disciples. And we're all disciples. And yes, God's taking us by the hand and leading us to Thailand. But he leads us each and every day out our front doors to the people in our own neighborhoods. So I ask you now if you would just join us in prayer for the Thai people and for our neighbors here in Zebulun and Green Pines. One thing I, I need to add because I didn't say this is uh, there's 68 million people in Thailand, uh, a little over 68 million. Out of those 68 million, less than 400,000 are Christian or evangelicals reaching out. Um, that's less than Toronto less than the entire population of Toronto for a whole nation of, uh, of people who are believers. Um, this is one of the very least reached places in the world. Um, the need is so great. Uh, let, me, uh, let me pray uh, and then go on. Father, you are our Lord. You are our King. Lord, you've asked us to go and share your word. You've asked us to go share about Christ and to give the good news to people. Father, it's, it's such a tremendous task, and we can't do it without you. So, Lord, we are your servants. 
would you do your work through us? Father, we ask for your attention to Chiang Mai today, Lord. We ask that you would pour out your blessings on, on Thailand, that you would pour out your spirit there and that people would turn to you. Uh, Father, we thank you that you're going to allow us to be a part of that. Uh, Father, we ask that you would go with us. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Jim. Appreciate it. I've asked them to be at the back as you are departing today, and they will have prayer cards available for you to pick up as as you leave. And um, they are not part of uh, the organization they're a part of is not uh, with the International Mission Board. Um, they are like-minded. Um, but as many of you are, may be familiar with our church, that we know that we have a lot of funding through the cooperative program as our church contributes to that. And that in itself funds a lot of the missionaries, like some of the members that we've had go out. Uh, but they're not a part of that, so it's, it's rested entirely on people and churches saying, we'll support you financially. And so it requires a good bit of work on the front end uh, and throughout, actually, uh, for that to, to happen. And so um, pray about that. Ask God, uh, is this something you would have, he would have you to be a part of? Um, I know them as a family, and um, I know that they are very faithful to the Lord and to the Lord's work, um, and uh, I, I know that God will lead them, and they will be responsive to God's leading uh, as uh, they go out, and so I just would commend them to you, and I, you know, I was kind of struggling with what I'm going to be preaching about today in 1 Timothy 5, because it's about elders and paying money. Um, you can imagine my struggle a little bit uh, with that topic, 1 Timothy 5, of what it brings out in verse 17, um, all the way through to the end of the chapter. But you know, as I see it and how the Lord's working and bringing a couple like Jerry and Mary here on this day, um, that normally I would have preached this last Sunday, um, but with uh, Joshua Chavis, I thought it was fitting to change and uh, interesting enough to, to be here when a, a couple like Jerry and Mary are here um, that I think uh, speaks to this to a degree. Um, so 1 Timothy 5, 17 through 25, uh, this is a, a, a tricky subject and, and uh, normally it probably would not be polite for me to talk about how, uh, talk to the church about how the church pays me. <laughs> That's not normal in any world. Um, but this is also in the Bible, and it's also what God has called me to teach, and it's also what the church has asked me to teach, the Bible. And so I'm going to try to do it uh, in, in a way that is, uh, I believe, I'm going to try to do it fair, and as I've always done, from what the Scripture says. Uh, and so basically my approach isn't any different um, from what I've done the last... Eight years. Um, it's just that we're looking at this topic today. It is a challenge, and I, I think it was probably kind of brought to my attention in a, in a humorous way. Uh, about ten years ago, um, God provided the car that uh, we're driving in the, in the Cadillac. And when you drive a Cadillac, it kind of asks for some jokes from time to time. Um, especially the car I had ten years ago when I got this. And, and the Lord just provided it, and 
Uh, we had, you know, some of you may remember Larry Grays uh, came through, and uh, Larry Grays was, uh, was teaching at our church, and um, he's uh, African-American, and African-American church life is a little bit different uh, than uh, what Anglo-American uh, church and the culture of it, and he really got a kick out of the Cadillac. I mean, he, he just laughed about it and thought it was the greatest thing, and he said, you know what the difference between a, a, a white church and a black church is? I said, I don't know, Larry. What? <laughs> he said, well, in a white church, when a pastor has a Cadillac, they kind of shake their head and say, oh, he's got a Cadillac. But if you're in a black church and, you, and the pastor has a Cadillac, then the congregation of the church will say, that's my pastor. <laughs> and they seem to be proud about it. I, I just laughed like you did, uh, knowing some of the cultural difference. Um, and, and there are some differences, but it also kind of highlights maybe some abuses, doesn't it? Uh, of, of what can happen. Um, nonetheless, I still drive the Cadillac, and the Lord's provided, and we're, we're just thankful for it. Um, and it might have different reactions in you uh, when I do that. But I want to take that, and considering our, our attitude, but it, it's not just pay. It's, it's, it's a lot more to that, and it's not just to the church. It is as much to the elder as it is to the church. And uh, as we read this together, uh, in fact, we're going to look at uh, four instructions, two that go to the elder and two that go to the church uh, from this passage. Um, and it, it's a challenge uh, in this relationship. But as we speak, think about the elder-church relationship, it speaks to the relationship of Christ as our chief pastor um, and, and the honor we give to him as well as what he has done for us. And so I know that there's few here that God's called out uh, to elder, uh, to pastor, uh, some of them in a very full-time capacity. Some of you, God's calling out and will call out uh, to do it uh, on a bivocational uh, level uh, in, in our church and, and in other churches. And so with this thought in mind and considering all that the, the Bible is being God's word, First uh, Timothy three seventeen says that this letter was given uh, so that we may know how to behave, how to conduct ourselves and the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and buttress of truth. Knowing that, then let's read this by standing uh, in honor of God's word. So you'll read silently and I'll read aloud to you. 1 Timothy 5.17 Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain and the laborer deserves his wages. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. The sins of some men are conspicuous, going before them to judgment, but the sins of others appear later. So also good works are conspicuous, and even those that are not cannot remain hidden. You may be seated.
So we've looked at this a couple weeks ago. We saw that the passage was speaking especially to widows, how to care for widows, and it gave some qualifications of what that caring should look like. And, and uh, if you notice there, verse 3, it has that same word of honor, the widow, uh, who are truly widows. And, and so when we know that, we, we, we understand in that passage that the honoring had some financial uh, ramifications. And so we could say the same as we read uh, in verse 17 and see the instructions of honor there that also has some financial ramifications, which is elaborated, elaborated upon verse 18. And uh, you, you see some argument for that. And so uh, as we look at this, I want you to think, because Green Pines is the church of the living God, that means God is alive. When we meet here together, it is a testimony. We are stating God is alive. He's here. He's aware of us. And we gather together to make that statement to one another, is to say it to ourselves, to say it to God. We believe that you exist and that you are a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And so we gather together in seeking God. Uh, and because we are a church, an assembly around a living God, it has certain implications because there's a living God. And so, first, because we're Green Pines is the church of the living God, church respect elders. The church is to respect elders. Okay? Now, it says double honor. We understand the honor had some financial ramifications to it. But it, the, the idea of double honor seems to harken back to the Old Testament way of thinking of having a firstborn son. And the firstborn son and uh, the Jewish mindset was to be the, the person of double honor. All the children would be blessed, but the firstborn son uh, would have a, a special recognition of which Jacob struggled uh, with and Esau. And so it has that same type of, of meaning behind it when it says uh, a double honor. It says, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. And the idea uh, of elders who rule well, who oversee. And we looked already before about this idea of elders that is interchangeable with a couple other terms we often use for church leaders. Uh, we see this uh, in Titus chapter 1, verse 5 and 7, uh, that the elders are also regarded as overseers. Uh, that's the word bishop. Okay, we don't use that word bishop much in the Baptist life. Um, but the idea behind it is an overseer. The elder aspect here is not just someone who's physically old, but spiritually a role model. Uh, that they are seeking the Lord and that God has granted them some wisdom in that pursuit. Uh, and so uh, it's that recognition. And then also we see the word pastor uh, also interchangeable. Uh, sometimes the word itself, which literally is shepherd. Um, and then we see it in, in Acts chapter 20, verse 17 through 28, uh, where Paul is gathering together a group of people from Ephesus and he calls them all elders and tells them to oversee and tells them to pastor. The same group is doing all three functions. And so uh, just as we look at this, we keep in mind that the elders, the overseer, the pastor, same group, interchangeable terminology. But I think that one thing of note is that we see and observe in the New Testament that it's usually a group of elders. Uh, there is a, a, an idea of a plurality of pastors 
elders, uh, uh, overseers. And I think uh, that's something for us to take note of and to observe and, and maybe make changes in accordingly to what Scripture has to say. Uh, I think there's some good reason and argument for that. Uh, whereas most of us, if we grew up in a Baptist church, we're probably used to one pastor. Uh, and, and that's kind of the norm. And one pastor with many committees uh, and, and to work through that. Um, and I would argue that that may not be necessarily what the Bible is teaching and examples of it in the early church. Uh, but nonetheless, this, these elders are the ones who are ruling well, they're overseeing well, they're, they're standing out in what they're doing. Uh, but then especially in preaching and teaching. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. But it simply says, consider them worthy of double honor. Now let me share a little bit as to why. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 8 has an interesting passage. Uh, it says, therefore it says, when he ascended, referring to Jesus, on high, he led a host of captives and gave gifts to men. And then Ephesians 4 goes on and lists out what some of these gifts are. Uh, in verse 11, some of the gifts that Jesus gave to the church is apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. Verse 12, why? Why did God give these gifts called apostles, these gifts called apostles? Prophets called teachers, called pastors. Why did God give them these gifts? Well, verse 12, so that they equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. And so when we read the text itself, it's saying that these people are given, equipped by God, but they're given to the church by God. Now that has a little bit of a different mindset than what we might think of as employees or bosses. Uh, it is instead a gift. God knew that churches would have needs. And so in God's uh, providence and his power and his abilities, he called out people and gifted the church with these people. Do you understand that people who are using their gifts that God's given them for the purpose of the church as pastors or as teachers, they are themselves gifts to a church. And God can withhold gifts. That is certainly within his uh, prerogative to do that. And a lot of times we lose sight of that because of how we find pastors. That it looks a lot like corporate life. When we find these pastors and we bring them in and we think, well, okay, any business can do this. And when we think that way, we are failing to understand God's hand in that work. That God has done this. And so uh, understand that they are gifts and so we honor those that God has gifted um, uh, to a church. And that's the idea of, of Ephesians 4. Uh, as, we, as we keep on reading, he says in verse 18, uh, For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. And this is referring back to Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 4. And Paul is using animal care and says, Consider how we treat the animals, and there are implications that go to the church today. Now, I don't know how I feel about being compared to an ox. Uh, but nonetheless, that's scriptural, very biblical. Mike, you're, you're like an ox, man. Uh, I'm glad I can say that to someone else. <laughs> but I'm like an ox too. All right. And so uh, the idea here is that uh, threshing floors were actually something done outside there. Uh, and it was a, a place that was set aside. They would bring their grain in. 
uh, and from the harvest and, and would spread it out in the fields or, or in a rocky area especially. And they would uh, have an oxen there and they would tie the oxen to a central post typically. And the ox would just walk. And as the ox would walk, they would crush the grain and so separate the grain from the shaft. It was interesting in China, they don't use ox there, they use trucks. And they put it out in roads. And it was the, the craziest thing. They would just have these piles of, of grain on the road. And, and uh, you know, I thought, well, are we supposed to drive it or go around it? But they want you to drive over it. And they would use that still today. And you'd see the ladies would take the forks and throw off uh, the, uh, the substance so the wind would take the shaft away. And so the, this was the job of the oxen. But the thing is, about oxen, they like to eat. And they like to eat grain. And so uh, the idea was that as they're treading this, they would, they would smell... Uh, the grain. And uh, inevitably, they would get hungry. And so uh, they would say, all right, well, let them eat of the grain of which they are working toward. And that's the, the, the image behind this. And, and so the, the picture here for the pastor or for the, uh, the, the elders in this church is that they are laboring, building up people spiritually and the teaching of the word of God, teaching up the church that they would be Christ-like and, and every once in a while, there will be opportunities that God may bless in that family, in that church's life, and that the pastor should take part, the elders should take part in that. And so that's the image there, is that when there is blessing in a church, that the blessing is to uh, apply as well to the ones who are building up the church uh, through the preaching and teaching of God's word. And then you see in verse 18 that he alludes to another phrasing, the laborer deserves his Wages. Now, this is resembling Luke chapter 10, verse 7. He may not be quoting it outright, but it's evidently a story that was passed on uh, to the early church and to Paul. And it's referring back to the time when uh, people were going out preaching. Disciples were going out preaching to the various areas and uh, uh, to stay in homes and that the person's home would care for that one who's teaching and preaching in uh, a missionary work very much like what jerry and mary may be doing as they go to another place uh and that that eventually where they go and as god works in that place and churches are built up that there could be some financial blessing uh to allow them to continue the work of teaching and preaching all right so that's kind of the the idea and so paul alludes to both of these the statement of jesus as well as the law in the old testament uh to to bring out this idea of pastors being respected, being honored, and having financial implications behind that. And so, uh, when it says the labor deserves his wages, is saying simply, well, take care of the one that God gives to a church. Allow them to continue the work, and do so with double honor, a special blessing. Now, as we read that, you may be thinking, well, you know, it seems like Paul didn't always do that. Didn't Paul... Wasn't he a tent maker? And so he would go to places and would rely on his tent making skills. And the answer to that is yes. Paul did do that. And we find uh, examples of this in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 uh, as well as in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians 9, uh, Paul is gathering up the people to collect an offering. But notice something in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 7. He says, Who serves as as a soldier at his own expenses? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? 
Verse 11, 12. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? Verse 13, 14. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple? Those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings. In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. So Paul is clearly advocating that the church is to take care of the ones that are there. But he didn't do that with Corinth. He said, I've refrained from that. Interesting, in 2 Corinthians, the next letter, chapter 12, verse 13, he calls that wrong. He says, for in that were, and what were you less favored than the rest of the church except that I myself did not burden you? He made confession, I didn't depend on your, your offerings. Forgive me this wrong. Interesting. He acknowledged that as a wrong and he sought forgiveness that he did not depend on them in that way. Now, do you understand the point? There is scriptural precedent, teaching, and instruction for this. Why? Because this is the church of the living God. And when God gifts people here, in a lot of ways, how you treat that person whom God gives to the church identifies how you treat the authority, ultimate authority in your life. God. You remember, honor your father and mother. That fifth commandment that's in between the commandments reflecting directly to God and the rest of them reflecting mankind. How that one's right in between. And the idea is how you treat your mom and dad is how you're treating God. That's in the family structure. Guess what the church is called? The family of God. 1 Timothy 3. We just read that. So in God's family, when he calls someone, when he appoints someone, that how you treat them is reflective and indicative of how you treat God. Now, I'm not saying treat them like God. I understand the difference there. Okay? But it's reflective of that. Now, here's the problem. You hear this passage and we start thinking, oh my goodness, you know, I can't believe he's talking like this. Because there are so many people who are abused this. I, you know, the Parade magazine came out, was it last Sunday, where it talked about uh, what do people make? You know, they do that ever so often. And one of them uh, was, what does pastors make? I thought, oh no. <laughs> that was my first thought. Because what did I think of? I thought they are going to pick out somebody that is just getting, uh, I would say, perhaps abusive in this. Um, and they're going to show this $6 a figure, because some churches do that, and they're, and they're going to show this. And I was thinking, oh no, this is just another way to take a dig at the church, you know. Uh, and that was my first thought. It wasn't that way at all. It was something like twenty some thousand uh, that that lady was making in that uh, that article. Uh, but why did I think that? Why well, was the, that? Was the first thing that came to my mind? Because those are the ones that stand out, isn't it? Where you hear about somebody's got so. So many nice cars, or they got this great mansion, and you're thinking, what on earth? Because there is a balance here. It is, and I would say, it's not wrong for people to make six figures. But it's wrong for people to live a six-figure lifestyle. You understand the difference? I think that's why it's so important that you put 1 Timothy 5 with 1 Timothy 6 together. They go right beside one another. Why? Well, what does chapter 6 say? Well, we're going to talk about this in a few weeks. 
um, some, probably sometime after Easter, but he's very careful and very direct that we do not love money. He, notice what it says in verse 6, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6, Now there is a great gain in godliness with contentment. For we brought nothing to this world, we cannot take anything out of the world, but if we have food and clothing with this, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, to a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Okay, And so you've got these two together. And the problem is that sometimes you've got some pastors who are getting lots of money because the church is wanting to honor them. But then the pastor is disregarding chapter 6. And that's a problem. When there is a pastor that honors God and wants to live right with God, here's what I've observed. When they get money they are a blessing they're a blessing to the church and they're a blessing to what god calls them to sometimes have you ever thought why is it some people who are so greedy get so much money <laughs> have you ever thought, i thought that and then i think well there's some people that god is, has just worked a heart and they're so generous and they get very little money but it's amazing how the folks that have little money but generous hearts outgive all the time people who have a lot of money but selfish. Why? Well, because when you give in generosity, it shows the greatness of God. And when they continue to have clothing and food and they're content, it shows how they're satisfied with God. It brings great glory to them. And so uh, I think it's important as we consider this. To have these two together, but cannot disregard what the instruction is to the church. Because Green Pines is the church of the living God. Green Pines is to respect the elders of whomever God calls here. But, also, instruction number two. Because Green Pines is the church of the living God, elders are to work hard. Elders are to work hard. Notice the, the terminology here. When it says, as we read verse 17, who rule well, and then especially, uh, the ones we consider double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. The word labor there is the word for hard work. It's not just who work, but laboring has the idea of you're sweating, it hurts. At the end of the day, you have no problem going to bed and you do it over and over again. That's the type of intensive word here of those who labor and preaching and teaching there is the idea that if you're going to do this you're going to do it well you're going to work hard and unfortunately those pastoring and church leaders sometime has been a magnet for lazy people because they feel like they can get away with it and that's the sin it's just wrong now i would say to you from all that i've observed with those who are in this church that are elders, the ones I can observe, not including myself, but they work hard. And they labor. I don't ever have to get on Mike, or Chris, or any of the others about working. They do it. I don't have to tell them, you need to work harder. I need to tell them in which direction to work. But as far as the level of intensity, no. That is a gift. Not every church has that. 
I would just state that as observation, that is what I've observed and the ones that are here now. And so as we read this, and what was the reason why? Because we serve, Mike, we serve in the church of the living God. God is alive. He's at work. He's, he's here. He sees. And, you know, if someone's going to work hard at making money, someone's going to work hard at the stock market, someone's going to work hard in the, in the car shop, someone's going to work hard in all these, in the hospitals, in the military, then all the more reason for us to work hard. No one should be outworking us because of who we serve. The church of the living God. As we, we keep on reading, we go down and we go to verse 19. What else does the church do? If, if the church is to respect the elders, because it's the church of the living God, a, a double honor, uh, a giving, uh, a provision for them, that they're, they're, not, they're not hurting. But also the church... Verse 19 following, should expect repentant and holy leaders. The church should expect repentant and holy leaders. Not only should they respect, but this is a a reasonable expectation because this is the church of the living God. Notice how this comes out in verse 19 and 20. Uh, In in 1 Timothy chapter 5 and and in the beginning of it, it talks about how we treat one another and treating older men as as fathers and older women as mothers and younger as brothers and sisters. And and it was all couched with confrontation and how do we confront, how do we rebuke? Because the fact of the matter is, Green Pines, we need rebuking, don't we? That's where you say Amen. Okay? Green Pines, we need rebuking, don't we? It is honest. It's being transparent. It's being real. We're blind sometimes. I need it. We need it. And so 1 Timothy 5 is talking about how do we do this. And then when it comes to elders, what I love about the New Testament, what I love about the Christian faith is is self-correcting. It, it is acknowledging, makes provision for correction. That sometimes even leaders, especially leaders, need to be confronted, need to be uh, challenged. And it tells us how that happens. Verse 19 20. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. Because of the function of what we do as pastors and teachers and rebuking and confronting, sometimes people don't handle it well. And sometimes that bad way of handling comes out in vendettas, vengeance, slandering, ruining reputations. Sometimes it can come out in that way. And so Paul says it can't be just one person. We need to guard against this. This is something we need to be careful about. And so, evidence of two or three witnesses. Now, evidence of what? Well, verse 20, of those who persist in sin. Those who, it's not style, alright? It, it's not necessarily how I may preaching or how I may lead in, in regards to style, but sin. That's, that's the difference. What is, what is the sin? Can you read in the scripture and reveal how this is sin? And so you've got two or three that have evidence of this. And then, verse 20, is for those who persist in sin. Uh, uh, so when they submit this charge and, and they don't listen, 
they don't heed that of, of two or three witnesses coming to them and, and, and they are hard-hearted in that. If that happens and they persist in sin, verse 20, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. Why? Because they are in a very public manner influencing the church and publicly speaking, as I am right now, speaking and so when they are teaching sin by persisting in sin though confronted they need to be publicly revealed publicly rebuked the fact of the matter is pastors no matter where society says their respectability is in the church significant influence for good and for bad Whole generations of church children can be lost with the attitude and actions of a pastor or the church's attitude and action toward a pastor. For whatever reasons, that influence is there. Some of you may know exactly what I'm talking about as you look back and you think back on childhood. Think back as a teenager how things were done or what pastors did or didn't do. There are many who are not sitting here now in our community because of that very reason. To not rebuke them. A pastor who continues in sin, persistent, to not rebuke him, you'll find as we read this, is to actually partake in the sin of that person. You see that in verse 22? Do not be hasty in laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. He says, be careful how you select people. Be careful who you put in elders. When you have an elder that continues in sin, and there's not rebuke. There is a sense within that of you're kind of taking part in that. That was one of the problems with the, the sexual misconduct of the Catholic Church. Is that there was an outcry. Who is standing up in the church against this? Because if you don't stand up against this, then the church is taking part in it. And we're all excited uh, about a new pope, um, it's always kind of interesting. Um, I'm fascinated by it. It's all new to me in a lot of ways, and so I'm trying to learn. And, and so we have Pope Francis. Um, but I would just take note uh, of a difference with uh, Catholicism. We do not believe the pope is infallible. Why do I say that? Well, First Timothy chapter 5 brings out provision for elders when they sin. Why is that written? Because God knew that elders would sin. I.e., we're fallible. We can lead astray. We can make mistakes. And that's why it's important that church expect repentant elders. Not sinless elders. Right? Please? Amen? (laughs) Okay? Expect repentant elders that when confronted with the Spirit of God through the people of God that they can turn from their sin. But nonetheless, there is a pursuit, holiness, a pursuing Christ. Notice as it keeps on going here. He says, um, verse 21, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging. Where are the rules? The rules of verses 17 through 20. Honoring the elders. The elders work well. That, uh, that we expect repentant uh, and holy elders. And that when there is confrontation is done in this manner. Uh, but do so without prejudging. Keep this. Do it without 
Do nothing from partiality. So don't decide beforehand without knowing the details as to the conduct of an elder or the character of the elder. You have to uh, avoid the prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. You know, sometimes, sometimes pastors can come across wrong. Sometimes it's the manner, sometimes it's how they dress, sometimes they look funny, sometimes they smell funny, all right? And it's amazing, but it can have an effect. And what he's just calling out for is don't prejudge. Do nothing from partiality. But as we read verse 22, if, if, if the third instruction and the second one to the church, the third one being church expect repentant and holy elders, church respect the elders, and then the one to the, to the elders is that the elders are to work hard. And then the last one as we read this passage is, is elders live purely. Elders live purely. Verse 22, do not be hasty in laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. Devoted to God. One singular purpose. God, eternity, kingdom. Keep that focus. And then, as he's giving him instruction, he says, you know, I'm thinking about your spiritual well-being. For some reason, Paul just kind of, it seems like, this is weird, but he's talking about the spiritual well-being of Timothy. And on that thought, he says, let me talk a little bit about your physical well-being. No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. Well, time's up. We've got to close now. <laughs> um, the idea here is that it was, had medical value to them. The, the water uh, in many places around the world, and it is true today, true then, was uh, easily contaminated. And if you keep drinking on that water, you will have bad problems. Bad problems. Uh, and so uh, wine... Um, and when we talk about wine, it means a couple of things, one of grape juice and one of uh, the fermented process. And, and it's hard to say what's being talked about here when one word is used for both. I would argue that what's used in the Passover probably was not alcoholic wine because fermentation and all the yeast and things of it was to be removed from the homes when they celebrated Passover. And so that gives us some contextual clues uh, that when wine was used there, it evidently wasn't referring to an alcoholic variety. But it's the same word. Um, so he's saying, you know what? You need to take care of yourself physically. You're going to kill yourself if you keep drinking that water. Drink a little wine. Just uh, take some tonic, all right? So that's the, the kind of idea here. And then verse 24, the sins of some men are conspicuous, going before them to judgment, but the sins of others appear later. So also good works are conspicuous, even those that are not, uh, cannot remain hidden. I love this passage. I wish I had some more time to elaborate upon it. But simply being elders, church members, sins cannot remain hidden. Whatever you sow, you will reap. God is not mocked. And so there are some sins that are obvious. They, you know, when someone's greedy, it may not, you can't tell it at first, but it'll, it'll come out eventually. But you know, when someone's violent, that's a little obvious. When someone uh, loses their temper and has an anger issue, it's kind of obvious when that, when that happens. But then, uh, then there are some sins that may be nursed, and, and, and you may not know it, but the Scripture is simply saying, they're going to come out. It's going to be, uh, eventually, it will be revealed. And this is something for us to tell ourselves, to, to keep ourselves pure, to say, you know what? There is no such thing as a hidden sin. There is no such thing as a victimless sin. 
That's impossible. God sees and is going to be apparent. Now, the judgment that's talking about here is not God's judgment, but the church's judgment. God expects the church to have judgment. And to do judgment when there's pastors that are unrepentant in their sin. The effect of it, I don't know if you've thought about it, but when a pastor's fired, that pastor's excommunicated from that church. That's the effect of it. And sometimes we don't think about it because we just think it's an employee situation. But that family has been removed from the church family. They are excommunicated. It is a judgment that takes place. And there are scriptural instructions for this and some ramifications for elders. But the fact that it's here tells me that it may be needed. It may be needed. And we need to know about it. We need to be aware of it. All that to say, as pastor, you are my church. I need you. I can grow because you're here if you know how you are as a church and this is a church of the living God. I'm not just an employee. I'm your pastor. Mike, the same. Our goal is to serve the Lord by serving you and how he's gifted us. We consider you our family because we have no other church family and as such not only do we need your prayers but we also need your confrontations your your rebukes but we also need the respect the double respect that comes with that why am i saying that because that's what scripture says simply I have no other argument, I have no other reason for it, I have no other basis. Just what 1 Timothy 5 says, with the express purpose, this is the church of the living God, we need to know how to behave in that. Does that make sense? Now here's the beauty. I thank God that I'm not your only pastor, that you have a chief pastor. And he is holy. And when he was confronted, it was because people trumped up charges. God the Father said to the Son, our pastor, he said, Behold, the Son in whom I am well pleased, I can find nothing of fault within him. And he serves you. He has labored. He has labored not with sweat, but with blood coming from his pores and from his tears. He is your pastor. Respect him. Double respect him. Fall on our knees in worship of this pastor Jesus. And honor him. Not just with double, but with all that you are. It is good to be in that pastor's church where there's such service, such salvation, forgiveness, and love. Not that you have to honor him. We get to honor him.
And so when there are others like a Jerry and Mary and uh, those have come from our body that says, we want others to know about this pastor. Then let them do so and help them do so. Pray for them, give, bless them, that God might be blessed. Let's pray.